So Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse number 1, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. I don't know if your translation says that. Um, it also could be translated governors. This is going to get kind of administrative as far as if you look at how a, a government is set up. So Darius, if you remember, he's, uh, he's of the Medes, and then Cyrus is going to be of the Persians. These are the ones that took over Babylon, and this would be the, the second part of the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, the chest, uh, as Babylon was the head of gold, and so the arms are representing the Medes and the Persians. They had to kind of join forces in order to take over Babylon. So he's now ruling and reigning. And he sets up this, this infrastructure here. He gets really organized. And so these guys are to be set up throughout the whole kingdom and over the three high officials. In other words, he sets all these, these 120 governors up, but then he puts three over the 120. And Daniel was one of them, to whom these satraps should give an account. They report to him so that the king uh, might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and the governors because of an excellent spirit that was within him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So now catch this. So Daniel, and you remember this, this happened with uh, Joseph when he was in different situations. It happens to people throughout the Bible. It's probably even happened in your life. If you just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all things will be added unto you. And the Bible says promotion doesn't come from the east or the west. Promotion comes from the Lord. And so God is promoting Daniel. But look at what happens. So Daniel became distinguished above all the other governmental officials because of an excellent spirit. And the king planned to set him over the whole thing. Then the high officials and all the governors sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. Uh-oh, this sounds like Fox News and CNN and Meet the Nation and Wolf Blitzer and all these, uh-oh. This sounds like impeachment trials, uh, sounds like Watergate, all the gates, right? There, these are where the gates are starting. But they couldn't find no fault or no ground for complaint against Daniel because he was faithful and no error or fault uh, was found in him. Can you imagine if they had the Patriot Act and the NSA and all the data dumps and the, all the surveillance technologies that they have today, and if they were to follow you around just for a half a day? You think they'd get some dirt on your life? <laughs> Anyways, they couldn't find any dirt, uh, no Epstein Island connection to Daniel whatsoever. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God, his faith, his religion. Then these high officials and governors came by agreement. They, they rallied. It's almost like um, when Herod and Pilate, they were at odds with one another, but when it came to coming to agreement against Jesus, they then finally ignored their differences. So all of these political parties, let's just say there's left-leaning and right-leaning, they're ignoring their differences and said, one thing we could all agree on is that, that this Daniel who worships the God of Isaac uh, or Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, can't be, he can't be the ruler over us. Who is this exile? So, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom and prefects and governors and the counselors and all the governors agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whosoever makes petition to any god or any uh, any man for 30 days, I think this is interesting, for a whole month, except to you only, O king, uh, shall be cast into the den of the lions. So they're like saying, we could do this, we could pull this off for a month, but let's not make it a, an everlasting edict. Let's just make it a window of time so we could find fault with Daniel and trip him up in his faith, because we know he's going to be faithful. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians. Very famously, the Medes and the Persians were known to where when it goes into law, it cannot be undone. That's why they put a shelf life on it. And they said, it's only for 30 days, but during that 30 days, it can't be reversed. It has to be enforced. 
When Daniel knew that the, doc, that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows, and his, his, he knew this, incidentally, um, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees, and three times a day he prayed and gave thanks before uh, his God as he had done previously. Now, Daniel knew this edict, and he still went forward to that. And it reminds me of Acts chapter 5 and verse 29, when they were told not to preach and to teach in the name of Jesus, but Peter and the apostles answered and said, we must obey God rather than men. So Daniel's taking that approach. He says, I don't care what the laws of the Medes and the Persians um, say, I'm going to obey the Lord. Then these men came by agreement and they found Daniel making petitions and a plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning this injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man within 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? Interesting. The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians. He's like, yeah, I know the law, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles uh, from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he had heard these words, was much distressed and set in his mind to deliver Daniel. He and Daniel, Darius and Daniel, had a good relationship. Daniel was often found in a good relationship with the king. Nebuchadnezzar, for example, he was very close with the kings, and he's going to have a great relationship with Cyrus, the one that, that's after Darius. And he labored till the sun went down um, uh, to rescue him. So Darius is so perplexed because he wanted to promote Daniel. He knew Daniel had an excellent spirit. And we don't know behind the scenes, like, you know, like Oval Office meetings that you never know what's said on the Oval Office. Well, they probably had their own version of the Oval Office, and Darius probably really probably really benefited from the wisdom of Daniel. And Daniel was a godly, godly uh, man that wanted truth and justice and righteousness and the things of God. And so Darius was very heartbroken that he felt like, man, these guys politically maneuvered to trap Daniel, and he probably knew that he was innocent. I mean, that's not innocent that he broke the, the thing, the law that they made up for 30 days, but that like Daniel has no ill intentions, but these men seem to be greedy and political. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king established can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and then cast into the den of lions. And we'll, we're going to really park on that uh, during this message. But the, the king then declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And I love the song that the girls sang today. There's another in the fire. Well, there's another in Daniel's, in, in the lion's den also. We're going to find that out. And then a stone was brought and laid in the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Kind of sounds like what they did with the, the tomb of Jesus. We don't want it, you know, let's see if this thing is of God or not. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. Look at the relationship and the concern he has. No diversions were brought to him, uh, and sleep fled from him. So he couldn't sleep. He was only thinking and praying and fasting about Daniel, whom he, he loved. He had a great relationship with him. And he probably knows, as a reasonable king, that this was all political maneuvering, finagling. Does it sound familiar? I mean, you can see this stuff today. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went haste to the den of the lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, so he's not even wait till he's like so, he didn't even sleep all night. He cried out, which means he yelled out with, with the tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you've uh, served continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said unto the king, O king, live forever. Isn't that interesting? Daniel replies with a compliment and the highest form of honor you could give a dignitary. 
oh, live forever. And the only way that you could live forever is by placing your faith in God. And he said, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth as they have not uh, harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. He's like, I don't have ambition or political uh, objections to trying to overthrow your government or to thwart you or to work the angles. I just believe in God. And so, you know, I knew the law came, but I still, I have my faith in God. It's a higher law. My faith towards God than the law of man is the law of God. And uh, Darius, he understood that. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Now, I don't, to me, this is not a cute Sunday school story. To me, this is a profound miracle that we could take, we could take a lot of application for this for our own lives. And I'll get into that in a minute, but let me finish the chapter. And the king commanded, uh, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. Okay, I love this sort of justice. They and their children, uh-oh, and their wives, and before they even reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them. I love, I don't love this. I was talking to my wife about this. I said, what do you think that sounded like? They broke their bones in pieces. You ever accidentally give your dog a chicken bone? Or they grab some chicken out of the, and you hear the crunch? Can you imagine wet, because we're mostly like water and blood, wet, uncooked human flesh with bones? Are you getting a picture? I hope you're not getting hungry. That would be weird. But there's chomp, cracking the bones before they hit the ground. The implication is, they, as they would train the lions and they would, they would purposely plan out their dietary restrictions, they would cause them to be hungry. They were so starving, and, and we're talking about the king of the beast here, that before they hit the ground, they were catching them. We're, and lions are like 500 pounds, seven feet long. They caught them, and they didn't even hit the ground, and they're already crunching bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the people, the nations that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you, and make a decree that in all my royal dominion, um, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Because he knew, like, as hungry as these lions were, they, didn't, they just hung out with Daniel and he was chilling with the lions, but these guys that were plotting and planning and scheming, they just totally annihilated them. Then he goes on to say, for this God, he's the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. That's the millennial thought. And his dominion shall be no end. Millennial reign. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Wow, as Jesus prayed, as in heaven, so on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian, whom they just celebrated his end of his reign a few years back in uh, Iran, which is Persia, by the way. There's the, the tomb of this king that we're reading about in Iran, and they celebrated a bit, the last king of Persia, which was in the 70s, it was the late 70s, they had this 2,500, it was the most expensive celebration of any country. And I used to know all the stats, like the 300 red limousines that were Mercedes and all the extravagance. They spared no expense to celebrate King Cyrus, who made a deal with Israel that you could go back to your land, build your temple, and they've always had a symbiotic relationship until until the Ayatollah Khomeini and, the, and Islam came in and deceived the people. But anyways, so Daniel and the Jews have had a good relationship with the real Persians for thousands of years, centuries. And you're reading about this here, that the heart of Darius was, I love Daniel, and I love the justice. 
I, ha I hate to say it, you know, I just hate, but I, you, you just feel like it's so unjust. When is justice, even what's going on in the Middle East right now, I find myself wrestling it within myself about the terrible massacre on October 7th with all the gory details that go into it, and I don't want to go into that. And then the retaliation, and you're like, does the retaliation match the actual uh, initial massacre that started it and all the divisions that are going on right now? And then other bad actors and terrorists that are surrounding this little tiny um, New Jersey-sized country called Israel, and they're trying to fend off all these enemies and all that kind of stuff, foreign and domestic, they just, they just thwarted a, a terrorist attack. And they, there was just a terrorist attack recently um, from Palestinians inside Israel, another suicide bomb. Um, but what we're getting at is Cyrus couldn't settle it, Darius couldn't settle it, Alexander the Great couldn't settle it, none of the Caesars could settle it, not England, uh, not, the, not the United States, not Egypt. No one could settle the injustice and all of the controversy surrounding Israel and Jerusalem until Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, comes back on the day of the Lord and sets up his kingdom. So I want to I kind of, this isn't a Christmas message, but I want to throw, throw you um, a, a candy kiss or an ornament or a stocking stuffer here. This is a stocking stuffer. Go to the next slide. Peace on earth. Now, we sing, we talk about this, we reference this, peace on earth. But really, when Jesus showed up as a little babe born in Bethlehem, there wasn't peace on earth. The Romans were ruling Israel. They had crucifixion as their capital form of punishment. There was all these other factions and uh, disagreements, even though Rome had most of the known world under their empire, and they were a fierce force to be reckoned with. In Daniel chapter 2, Rome is described as the bottom half of this vision, which are the, they're, they're um, iron, and iron isn't a precious metal. It's not like gold, it's not like silver, um, it's not like bronze. It kind of goes from most value to least valuable but the hardest of metals. You don't want to make a sword out of gold that would, you would hit and then it would bend. It's very soft. But when you're talking about iron, they used iron to blunt things and, and destroy things. And, and they mastered uh, the art of war, the Romans did, and the art of capital punishment. But the Persians weren't too bad at it either, as we'll see. So peace on earth, goodwill to men. What was really taking place when Jesus was born in a manger was the Prince of Peace showed up. So it was the person of peace who was on earth, but he didn't actually bring peace because he hasn't set up his kingdom of peace yet. But let's look at that. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Well, that hasn't been realized yet. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's who he is. He could bring peace because he is peace. He, he doesn't just sign peace treaties. He becomes peace. He is the peacemaker because he is the prince of it. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Well, there, there, that hasn't started yet. I mean, it has invisibly in those we have peace with God where we once were enemies. So those that are born again and saved, you're no longer an enemy, but you're at peace with God. But his throne, the throne of David and his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and his justice from henceforth forevermore, hasn't really been set up yet. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts will perform this. So think about this for a minute. Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. We just read about what happened to the, the political sh shysters that were trying to trick Daniel because of their greed and their jealousy and their prejudice and their anti-Semitism, all that kind of stuff. And there was justice brought to them. But when you think about Daniel, you would think what would bring Daniel peace would be to remove him from the lion's den. But as the, the ladies were singing today, there's, 
there's another in the fire. As they were singing that so beautifully, because they've watched my YouTube videos on vocal lessons and stuff. Peace is not the absence of the fiery furnace, and peace is not the absence of the lions. Jesus just removed the lions, and then Daniel could have peace. He could hang out, catch up on his emails, play some, you know, um, gummy, gummy crush, gummy candy crush. Um, he could just kill some time while the lions aren't killing him because the, the lions are removed. Obviously, peace is the removal of the fire. It's the removal of the lions. No, God didn't remove the fire, and he didn't remove the three Hebrew children. He didn't remove the lions, and he didn't remove Daniel. What God did to bring peace was the Prince of Peace showed up. So in your life, when you go through bad things, oftentimes we think, like, what's the path of least resistance? What's the path of most comfort? I, I know. How could I get out of this? The faster I could get out of this trial and tribulation, the sooner I'll experience peace. Maybe... If we look at these events, not Sunday school fables or old folklore mythological tales, maybe if we look at these more from a, from a, a, a perspective of, of faith, it's the presence of God. So look at this. Peace is not the absence of trials and tribulations. Peace is the presence of God. And look at the next slide. Location, location, location. You know, in real estate, that's, or if you're setting up a new business, all that kind of stuff, this comes into play. But apply that to your faith and your walk with Christ. Because it's, look at this next question here. It's who God is to us and where God is to us that makes all the difference. Who is God to you? Is he some story? Is he some fable? Is he some, like, just a crutch that people have to think to make them feel good and warm and fuzzy? It, it, you know, is, is God like off in some distant thing? Is he just myth? Um, who is God to you? Is he critical? Is he angry? Is he always disappointed? Is he just with his arms crossed? Is he just so disappointed in you? Is he just like your earthly father, you know, that you could never quite get him to like you or to love you or whatever? Or he was just always absent and just not available? Um, who is God to you? Is he loving? Is he relational? Does he delight in you? Does he want relationship with you? Does he want to spend time with you? I mean, who is God to you? And the only way you're going to find that out is if you get in his, if you get in his word and you really ask God these things to reveal himself to you, and he will. Where is God to you? Location, location, location. You know, we have the bonus in the new covenant, this side of the cross, which Daniel didn't have. God had to show up. But if you put that scenario in today, I'm thrown into the lion's den. Wherever I go, God goes. Wherever, wherever you go, Jesus goes. So he would have been in there with him. He, just as he is with you. So wherever you go, if you're born again, if you receive Christ into your heart, you're sealed into the day of redemption. He'll never leave you. He's not departing. So who is God to you and where is God to you are the two most important questions we could ask. But let's look at this idea of millennial lines, and then I'm just going to land on this thought. So Daniel, back to Daniel chapter 6 and verse 24 and 27. And the king commanded, and they brought those men out which have accused Daniel, and they threw them into the lion's den, them and their sons and their wives, and the lions overpowered, uh, overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they came to the bottom, before they even hit the ground. And then at the last part in verse 27, and he's making this decree that, that it's the God of Daniel that everyone should acknowledge, he says he delivers and he rescues. He delivers and he rescues and he shows up and he works signs and wonders in heaven and he has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. Now, I want to bring this up to you because there's another interesting phrase that, that the ladies were singing in that second song that they sang today. And it was, um, there's another in the fire, but the second phrase of that, uh, I think that was the chorus, uh, it's, it's talking about he was in the waters. And I want to bring that up. And I think that's very interesting 
phrase, and it's definitely a reference to the Red Sea and Moses and the children of Israel. Go to the next slide, because God is the God of the elementals. And this is a fascinating study, because we don't worship the creation, we worship the creator. But you'll notice back in Daniel's day, with the Assyrians, the Egyptians, and the Babylonians, all the way to uh, the Medes and the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans, and everyone has um, made a god of something. The sun, Sunday. (laughs) Saturn, the moon, Monday. The People have worshipped the water. They've worshipped the fire. They've worshipped they've worshipped the creation over the creator who's blessed forever. Amen, it says. And you can look at that in Romans chapter 1. But he's the God of the elementals. That's why when Jesus walked on water, if there was any God associated with that water, the higher authority just showed up and they had to obey the master, the creator. If it's fire, no problem. Whatever it was. Think about the element of fire. God just delivered them from the fire. Or he went in the fire with them and and somehow was overpowering. He had higher command than the destruction of fire. God who created it, who was the one that said, let there be light, and there was a sun burning. Just think about the sun for a second. It's just burning. It's just a burning ball of fire. And people were like, I don't know, I just got there somehow. Okay. Go with that. But the God that created fire and light and said, let there be and there was, also has power over it. He's the God of the elements. The water, he, he delivered the children of Israel. Part of the Red Sea, as we sang in the song, the wind. Remember, Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat and there's a big tempest and a big storm and there was huge waves and, and Jesus, they woke him up and, and Jesus said, be calm and be still. The wind obeyed his voice, and the the H2O obeyed his voice. Earth, remember Jesus took clay and put it on the guy's eye, and he was healed? He didn't have to do that. I think what he's showing is that anyone that has some sort of lesser G, lower God worship, and they connect it to the elements, I think what God is doing is like, I have have power over all the things I've created. Don't settle for a lesser God. Agriculture, if you think about that, people always worship, you know, the God of agriculture, and which is connected to the earth. But Jesus, which takes grain and all the stuff to flour and stuff to make bread, remember Jesus just multiplied it. He has power over all of the elements. So the uncreated creator is God, and he's also God and ruler of the animal kingdom too. Think about a lion for a second, the king of the jungle. Go to the next slide. Um... Jen wasn't with me, but we we met and fell in love when we used to. I used to live up in Jennifer too. She's from San Clemente. I was born in San Diego, but we've both found our lives living in Central California at one point by Yosemite National Park in the Sierra Mountains. So I lived at about 5,000 feet elevation, and we had snow, bears, deers, mountain lions, and not all the time you'd see them, but. Um, you would see them occasionally. I remember one time I was driving to church. I had a couple kids from the youth group, and I had a Jeep Cherokee. If you know Jeep Cherokees about their height, I'm only saying that not to brag. I mean, come on. But just to give you the height, as I'm driving, all, everything was a windy road. Jen and I lived, a, I don't know, maybe like 15 miles from each other, but it took an hour to, to get to each other because of the Windy roads, Sierra Mountains, beautiful rivers, waterfalls. It's really pretty where we used to live. But I remember driving, and oftentimes you'd run over tarantulas, and you'd kind of crunch, crunch, and kind of hit them on purpose sometimes, big, hairy ones. But I remember we're driving to church, and it was at night, and slowly this mountain line was crossing this two-lane mountain, mountain road, and I was going about 40 or something like that. It just... It was ripped. It kind of reminded me back in the day when I used to have like <laughs> some lats and some gun. This thing was just loaded. He was cut. He must have been eating some protein deer shakes earlier. He was ketoed out. I mean, this no carb mountain lion was huge. His shoulders were at the, the height of the hood of my Jeep Cherokee. And it was wider than the front of my Jeep Cherokee. And I, I slammed on the brakes, and my nose of the car went down. 
Because it wasn't, it didn't even care. It just looked, you know how cats just look at you like, what? They dare you to do something. And it just kept walking. And I'm like, did you guys see that? Well, we had other run-ins with them too. I remember there was a fire one time on the Indian reservation where, where I lived, up in the mountains. And this fire caused a mountain lion to jump on the roof of uh, uh, one of the, the uh, trailers that were on the property. There's a lot of trailers on the property there. And it, you could hear it hauntingly. It would just like hiss and growl because the fires were coming down and it, it jumped on there for safety. And the, the thing was, now this is a mountain lion. They're not as big as the lions that they trained for the purposes of capital punishment. But the, these things, I would not get, if I ran over that mountain lion, first of all, it would have caused a lot of damage to my car. And getting out to look at the damage would have been a dumb move. It would have been suicide. You know, like even if I thought it was dead, this mountain lion, I mean, it would be like hitting a, a horse almost. It was so gigantic. But I want to talk to you about the, the history of lions for a second, just to kind of give you background a little bit. So they're the king of the beast. The Bible says in Proverbs 30, 30, the lion, which is the mightiest among the beast, and does not turn back before any. He doesn't, if you're, if you're in a fight with a lion, they don't back down. There's just nothing they back down towards, nothing. There's nothing, he's the king, he's at the top. So the lion is at the apex, and he's the keystone predator. He's the top of the food chain, and she is the top of the food chain, meaning they're without a natural predator or enemy. They, they don't have any. Hyenas are just, first of all, I hate hyenas. Amen. I just hate them. I don't, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that because they're God's creation, whatever, you know, like, oh, sorry. I just, I'm really prejudiced and biased against hyenas. I hate them, I hate them, I hate them. And so they're kind of, they're not really an enemy in a fight, but they're just, they're rude, they're inconsiderate, they're selfish. <laughs> but, and they, you know, they're, they're pack animals as well, they're scavengers, they're just like, uh, they're just garbage animals, throw them away. Anyways, um, they probably serve their purpose, and I'm just saying that ignorantly, and I'm, I apologize to all the hyenas out there, I'm not a hyenist. But male lions generally get to be about seven feet long and they weigh up to 500 pounds. Lions are unique in that they live in prides consisting of like 15 members on an average. Some can be up to 30, as little as two, but that's rare. The females do most of the hunting. I know you women were waiting for that point. Like, tell them about we do all the work and nothing's changed today. We still do all the work. <laughs> Probably true. Um, so the females do most of the hunting. Although, if prey is abundant, both sexes typically spend 21 to 22 hours a day resting, sleeping, or sitting, and hunt for only like two to three hours a day. Here's, kind of the, here's the food they go after. Elephants, giraffes, <laughs> antelope, zebras, water buffalo, just to name. Sounds like a Brazilian barbecue, right? Just, it's on green, right? They just put it on green, like, keep it coming. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> I want to I bring this up, though, because the Persians not only used lions as a form of capital punishment, they had other ways to kill people as well. Um, number 10, making a chair out of your skin. Number 9, drowning in a pool of ashes. And for somehow they thought like uh, suffocating was the, the scariest form to die, but not with water. They wanted to make it worse. But to, could you imagine you're suffocating with just inhaling ashes? Another, uh, number eight on the top ten, to drink molten gold down your throat. Yeah, waste of gold, right? If you got all the gold, does it matter? It's probably more insulting. Like, you don't worth anything, you're not worth anything to me as much. Number seven, tearing people apart with trees. This one I had to look at, because what they'd do is they'd bend the trees They'd bend the trees and then they'd tie them together and then they'd release the trees and then the trees would uh, spring apart and then it would rip them apart. <laughs> uh, number six, stoning, like uh, original, right? We've heard that one before. Number five, dismembering the body in front of the city gate. And when I thought, what does that mean? 
Well, they would, like, they would slowly do it, start with the nose and the ears and stuff like that. And the, their idea was if they did it in the front of the gate and they slowly dismembered them, that it would be a deterrent to people. Which is what I found out in the crime museum in Europe uh, when we went there. Uh, it was in uh, uh, Rotenburg, out of Tauber, and there's a little crime museum. Um, and uh, it, it, through all the medieval times, they've recorded all the different forms of punishment. You think these guys are just evil and sadistic? And I think most of the time they just did it as a deterrent. Um, killing your people as an annual holiday? I mean, that's kind of a deterrent. Triple death. <clears throat> this one was interesting because if you did something really terrible against the king or the queen, they would, they would have a way to kill you, bring you back to life, kill you, bring you back to life, and then finally kill you again. It's a form of torture. Incidentally, that's people that are involved in satanic ritual abuse, that's an actually very common thing that they do because they try to get them used to their soul leaving their body for astral projection and soul travel and stuff like that. So it's not anything new. Uh, number two, eating your own children. I thought, I, don't, I didn't want to investigate that one, uh, how they made them do that. But then number one, feeding them to the lions. Now, okay, go to the next slide. Because Rome, you like that one? Rome mastered this style of killing people. So, you know, there's the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, there's the Greeks, and then the Romans. So hundreds of years later, they pick this form of punishment up again, um, and they call it the Domnatio ad bestias. It's Latin for Roman capital punishment when people were condemned to die by way of lions. Go to the next slide. That's what, the, that's what it is in Latin. So if you look up that phrase, damnitio ad bastias, it's the Roman word for capital punishment for death by beast or death by lions. So the act of damnitio ad bastias was considered a common form of entertainment. You ever heard of the word blood sport? Well, that's where they get it from. And it was for the lower class citizens of Rome. So... Killing by wild animals, such as Barbary lions, formed part of the inaugural games of the Flavian Amphitheater in AD 80. So between the 1st and 3rd centuries AD, this penalty was also applied to the worst of criminals, runaway slaves, and mostly for Christians. So early in the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd century, Christians were the most popular victims in the, get this, go to the next slide, in the Lude Meridania, they were the most favored, and this, this Latin phrase means halftime show. I know you're thinking of halftime show failures. Okay. This is where we got halftime show from, because they had, you know, Ben-Hur and the chariots and then the gladiators, but the real entertainment was the lions. And the beast masters that figured out the art of training these 500 pound, seven foot creatures was you were, you were considered very honorable and respectable if you were one of these lion tamers or beast masters because this was the, the often preferred show. Have you ever been to like a, a, a NASCAR thing or a race car thing, but then in between? Is the Crash Up Derby? Anyone? That was, so you ever been to a gladiator fight and then in the middle of it is the, these Christians like, and then the lions are coming out and then and they, would, they would even be so sadistic. They would make fake platforms. You think of like squid games and stuff like that. That's TV. This was real life and it was Christians. They'd make fake, fake platforms where they'd crawl in and they would collapse just to give them false hope and to get more entertainment. There were some coliseums that could fit up to 250,000 people. Yeah, that's even bigger than the coliseum in Los Angeles that could fit 90,000, where they did the Olympic uh, Summer Games in 84. So this was no small thing in history. 
Ironically, though, the more the Christians died with bravery, honor, humility, and grace, the more Christianity would grow out of the Roman Empire. Because they thought, if we could put more Christians on display and to humiliate them in front of the lions, and people would, with bloodlust, watch the blood sport, the halftime show, that we would deter people from converting to Christianity because they viewed it as a threat, especially to the emperor who said he is king and God incarnate as he was a worshiper of Jupiter, which was a recycled version of Zeus from the Greeks. So it's just so ironic. The more they persecuted the Christians and the more they did this in public, the more Christianity uh, uh, would grow. I don't want to bring this up, too, because some people think, well, you know, lions don't, they don't really attack people. And you can say that about great white sharks, sharks, too, but I don't want to really test that theory, to be honest. But just the last century, there was 135 Indian, meaning from India, and African men who were killed by only two lions over the course of nine months. They've made movies over this uh, whole incident. Just two lions... And they took out 135 people that were building a bridge over the Salvo River there. And in that bridge-building project, these lions were like, oh, okay. You know, looks good to me. <laughs> eat more um, bridge builders. Eat more Christians. They weren't Christians. They were just workers. Also, over the years, some lion tamers um, have been killed by the, and this has happened more. Um, they've been successful. Martini. Uh, Makumo was killed by lions, and Thomas Marquette, who was a one-armed lion tamer, which I thought was interesting, was killed by his lion at age 34. Remember Siegfried and Roy, the two, uh, and they dealt with tigers, not lions, but I just think it was interesting that as I was looking into this stuff, remember Roy was attacked by one of his wild beasts, and they said he had a stroke, They're, they're they're, they're defending the tigers, they said he had a stroke on stage and that the tiger thought, for his safety, I'll just grab him on the neck, and he gave him spinal cord injury from there permanently, and I'll drag him off the stage for safety. Okay. I remember my friend had a, um, a pet cougar, and it was like the size of um, like a, a German shepherd, like a large-sized dog. It wasn't fully grown yet. And I remember he had this pet cougar. He had a harness on it. And he had a, a string in his backyard. He'd let rabbits and stuff go, and then the cougar would go. They'd watch it, and they would eat it. And I remember I was in my sleeping bag one day. I was sleeping in the, in the bottom. And he, in the morning, he, he had his cougar, and I saw him. And I knew what he was going to do. He was going to let his cougar go, and it was going to attack me. And I'm like, don't do it. Don't do it. And he's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. But I had a sleeping bag, and he, the cougar just like took two steps. It jumped on me, and I zipped the thing up. Oh, no! And he would, I think the cougar was declawed in the front, but not in the back. There was something with it that it, was, it wasn't able to shred my, um, and I guess it was just playing. But even in the Tiger King, where they're like, they're like, I don't know, it's probably my fault, you know, it's nothing, nothing wrong with the tiger, with the guy that got his fingers bit off by putting his hand in the cage. Everyone's giving these wild beasts the pass, but I'm saying, these things... You can't tame them. The lion, which is the mightiest among the beasts, doesn't turn back before any. You can't even train your house cat. And look into your house cat's eyes. It's a soulless, evil creature. You look into the eyes of a, of a lion. I remember Jenny, Jenny and I were at the San Diego Zoo this years ago. I was there for a pastor's conference or something. I said, hey, let's go to the zoo. So we went to the zoo. I remember rounding the corner, and we heard this, the loudest roar with the most bass you've ever. You ever go to someone, and you could hear their music, you know? Like, hey, turn up the treble. It's a lot of bass. Um, and you could feel it, right? This lion, remember that lion, babe, that we heard at the San Diego Zoo that had just so much terrifying bass in its roar? I just couldn't imagine Meatloaf, our St. Bernard, when he barked, and he's only 200 pounds. Imagine a 500-pound, ripped, muscular lion, just, and you're a Christian in the Colosseum, or you're Daniel in the lion's den, or you're these guys that can't even hit the ground and your bones are breaking. 
Are you guys getting all the context here? You're like, you've really exhausted this whole lion thing. We're going somewhere, and I'm going to land the plane here. But Jesus is the real emperor of the world, the king of the kings and kingdoms, and he's the real master of the beast. Lions are often used in the Bible, and it's mentioned over 80 times, almost 90 times. And they're used as metaphors, object lessons. Uh, there are reports of death by lions in the Bible. Um, they're mentioned to break bones also. Of people they eat, they lurk, they crouch, they hunt, they prey as the ultimate predator. So God references his creation. He's like, oh, yeah. As he does with Job. Hey, have you considered Leviathan? Remember? He mentions that. But look at Ezekiel chapter 19, verse 6. It'll be on the screen. A reference to lions. Just out of the 80, I just picked a few. But he prowled among the lions. He became a young lion. And he learned to catch prey. And he devoured men. Ezekiel 22, 25. The conspiracy of her prophets in the midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey, and they have devoured human lives, and they have taken treasure and precious things, and they have made many widows in her midst. Nahum, chapter 2, verse 12, the lion tore enough for his cubs and strangled prey for his lioness. Oh, there's the men doing some work. Okay, okay. And he filled his caves uh, with prey and his dens with torn flesh. So here, kitty, 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 doesn't really apply to the lion. And I think what the devil does is he takes this beast that God's created, and remember the devil's created also, and both lion and devil have to answer to their creator. But the devil is always an, he's always the antithesis of the truth. So the devil's gonna offer his new world order, his 2030 agenda, his, you know, his singularity, and then it's gonna be this false peace with false hope, and then comes the millennial reign. He offers this antichrist leader and this beast system, and then Jesus Christ, the real leader, who actually rules with righteousness and fairness and justice comes. He offers the mark of the beast to, hey, get sealed with this, and then you'll be a-okay. And then God comes, and he offers anyone that believe him to be sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. He has his magic with dark arts, and then God has his miracles. Um, he has religion to become a God yourself, independent from God. Do it on your own. Work. God has relationship with himself built on grace. He has the unholy trinity, the false prophet, the beast, the antichrist, or the devil. And then there's the holy trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's the devil's plan of salvation, and then there's the person of salvation, Jesus. There's the false peace and negotiator coming up to a TV near you, you're going to see it, versus Jesus, the actual Prince of Peace. The devil is a toothless, roaring lion versus Jesus, the actual lion of the tribe of Judah. When I've seen The, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Aslan, that, I, there's few movies I shed tears on. That's one of them. That's one of them. When they get the lion and they, they humiliate him and they kill him, not knowing that he's going to rise again from the dead. But look at, let's look at the trick of the devil. It's probably going to be on the slide up here. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Like a roaring lion. You should take his... He's, he's almost got those vampire teeth that you could remove. Remember those when you were a kid, or those wax teeth uh, for, during Halloween? Toothless. Toothless. Could roar and it's it's intimidating, and you could be governed by fear, but just know the lion of the tribe of Judah has ultimate power. He lives in you, and greater is he that's in you than he that's outside of you. First John 4 4. Here's what the Bible says: Revelation chapter 5 and verse 5. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep no more, for behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has conquered, he has overcome. There's a false line, and then there's the genuine. Now I want to talk to you about, lastly, the millennial lions of peace. So there's coming a time in the end of this age, the day that the Lord, when the, when the line of the tribe of Judah shall rule and reign for a thousand years. It's coming. During this time, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ will rule and reign with Jesus as the king 
of all kings and kingdoms. As vice regents and ambassadors and judges and priests and administrators, we will be conducting all the affairs of Jesus for 1,000 years on earth in his kingdom, the millennial kingdom. So just as Adam had failed in the garden, uh, when all of the beasts and birds and the animals were at peace with one another, after sin came, the ground was cursed, the animals were afraid, and then they went from vegetarian to carnivorous. And it gets really bad in Genesis chapter 6, where God says it's all corrupt. But there's coming a time when the lions that once used to tear people apart and break their bones will once again be at peace. There will be a false promise of utopia first, but the real solution is when uh, the Prince of Peace shows up. So there's going to be this false sense of peace in the Middle East, but Jesus Christ will come to the the Middle East and establish his kingdom forever. So peace on earth and goodwill toward men and beasts will only be achieved in the millennial kingdom, the day of the Lord, the day when Jesus comes back. Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 25 up on the screen. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox and the and the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in any of my holy mountains, says the Lord. So this wild, untamable creature, the Bible says, they're going to turn back to being herbivores. They're not going to break bones anymore. So this majestic, ripped, stunning animal shall then turn back to eating vegetables. Ezekiel 34, I will, verse 25, I will make them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. So, Hosea, go to the next one. Chapter 2, verse 18. I will make for them a covenant in that day with the beasts of the field, the wild birds of the heaven, and the creeping things of the ground, and I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And we have a couple more passages, but this one I'm going to need you to turn to. It won't be on the screen. Just the reference. In Isaiah chapter 11, if you'll turn there, in Isaiah chapter 11. But Isaiah 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. This is a prophecy of Jesus. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of knowledge, uh, and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. He's going to rule with the rod of iron. And with the breath of his lips shall he kill the wicked. That's when he comes back. Righteousness shall be in the belt of his waist. And faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall lay down with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fatted calf. You know, to a lion, if you see a... Like a calf's cool, but a fatted calf? What? Supper time. The cow and the bear shall graze, and their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Another reference again that they're going to be turned from being carnivorous to eating anything they want to just eating straws. The nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the cobra's den or the viper's den and shall not hurt or destroy. Could you imagine you're like, hey, mom, I used to go out with my BB gun and my dog and I used to hunt rattlesnakes and coyotes when I was like eight or nine, you know. But could you imagine you don't need your BB gun, you don't need your dog to protect you. You could just, you could just grab a rattlesnake and it'd be like doing its rattlesnake thing. You might even ride, you could maybe ride a lion. You know, the curse, in other words, 
the curse of, the, uh, of what we're experiencing now has been lifted. It's been lifted. It's been removed. King Jesus shows up. He's the beast master. He rules the animal kingdom, all kingdoms, and they all bow down. And, but here's the thing. You have a choice. You don't have to go with Jesus. Maybe some of, there's someone in here who's like, eh, whatever, I don't want Jesus. That's your choice. You don't have to. The devil has plenty of alternatives for you, um, alternative lifestyles, if you'd like. But that, it's your choice. But I want to close with this idea, a millennial mindset, and we're going to wrap this up. So what, when we think about our glorious utopian future, hopefully it affects the way we live today. And let me close with just a few verses on the screen. The first one is Micah chapter 4, verse 1. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted above the hills, and all the people shall flow unto it. This is in the millennial reign. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, the God of Israel, that he may teach us his way. That we... Could you imagine talking to the creator of galaxies and milky ways and light and uh, heat and the elements can you imagine having a conversation i mean you won't even need the internet you won't need artificial intelligence you'll have the one who is intelligence just and it's more than a supercomputer it's he's like the the literal information superhighway well, but what flows from him is love could you imagine being connected to perfect love perfect peace perfect righteousness, it's, it's beyond what we could even comprehend because it's so, it's so contrary to this fallen world in which we live in now. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, that's the headquarters in the thousand-year reign. He shall judge between many peoples, and he shall decide disputes for strong nations far away, uh, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. In other words, you won't need drones with facial recognition, with you know, uh, one-shot kills. You won't need weapons of mass destruction. You, know, you won't need white phosphorus, AK-47s, uh, tank, anti-ballistic missiles. You won't need a military. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. You won't need to learn Sung Tzu's art of war. You won't, you won't need any of that. You won't need Kung Fu. Zechariah 9.10 the battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations, and he shall rule it from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth, from the river to the sea. Here's a new one for you. Zechariah 9.10. Yeah, it's Jesus from the river to the sea, but not, not the Jordan River and the Mediterranean, which they want to get rid of all the Jews. Because the devil, if he could get rid of the nation of Israel, let's think about the, what's going on in the Middle East right now. If he could get rid of the, 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 rid of the nation of Israel... He could almost prove to the world, see, God can't keep his promises. And he's been trying that for millennia. But Jesus will come back. He will set up his kingdom, and it will be from all seas to all rivers. It'll be his um, government with no end, and we're going to be ruling with him. Psalm 46, 9, he makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And I love this because I always quote Psalm 46.10 at one point or another. But look at the context. Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That's a millennial passage. I use it in therapy. I use it to my own life. I share it all the time. It could be on your refrigerator. It makes good, you know, uh, book marks. That's, be still and know that I'm God. People have written books on it. Um, but in the context, look at what it's saying. This is going to, you could have this peace now because of where God is and who God is. He's in you. But you could also understand that he wants worldwide peace and it could only happen when he shows up. What are your thoughts about the coming 1,000 year reign, millennial reign of Jesus? And how does that impact your present? Is it just academic? Is it just kind of interesting? Or does it, does it really change the way you live? If you don't know Jesus, hopefully it makes you think like, wow, 
How do I become a citizen of this coming kingdom? I'll tell you how. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I know I'm not good enough to enter into this kingdom, but will you come into my heart and save me? It's just a simple prayer. Just ask Jesus to come into your heart. Second thought I'd like to encourage you to ponder throughout the week or today. We're able to be friends with animals again like Adam and Eve. What are your top three animals you want to be friend and why? Let's stand and be dismissed in a word of prayer. Jesus, thank you that you're king in an invisible kingdom now, not with signs and observations, but you're the king that's within us, and we're ambassadors in this foreign land. But one day the meek shall inherit the earth and will rule and reign with you, and you will set up your throne in Jerusalem for a thousand years. But that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. And Lord, we're looking for a new heavens and a new earth, which will come at the end of the millennial reign. And we thank you that you clearly tell us these things in the Bible. I know it hasn't happened yet, so we look to these things by faith. And Lord, as we change the way we think, may it change and affect the way we act and behave in, in the time in which we live now. And I pray that it would cause us to be millennial-minded so that we would be compassionate to our neighbors, loving and kind to our family members, and just think about how we want to rule and reign in a kingdom of righteousness as if we're preparing for it right now. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.